0: Good morning, planet Earth. Good morning, brothers and sisters out there in hyperspace, traveling through space-time tunnels on your way to work. Good morning to the gumbo freaks and the Gromulacs. Good morning to the whiskey freaks and those seeking after dynamite. It is July the 29th, 2022, and the time and age and Spirit of Boblimpdoc. Yeah, it's Friday. Friday is almost 5.30am Mountain Standard Time, and it is Friday. Right? Isn't it? Isn't it Friday? Isn't today Friday? Thank goodness it's Friday. You'd be able to get home from work tonight. If you like me or Carl from Aqua Teen Hunger Force, you might work from home. You might work from home like me, but you can imagine walking in your mind home or driving home in your head, right? After you finish your day of work in some basement office as you stare into cyberspace and wonder what is really there, you get to come home from work. You can wander to the bathroom. You can grab your sklintus. You can rub your bovula. If you work from home, you can simulate in your head a weary journey to work and from work. You can complain as you walk through the hallway. But you work from home, right? Just like me. Everybody's working from home now. Yeah, it's Friday. And like I said, it's almost 5.30 a.m. And this is Dan. And I guess you'd say this is the Planetary Status Report. Who knows for how much longer and and who knows why I care or why I should care. There's a lot of questions that come to mind for me these days. You know, this new job, so far so good. You know, they pay, they, they generate income for me. This job is money in the pocket and that's great. A lot of people are having a hard time paying bills right now. And so the fact that I can pay rent and pay for food and shelter basically and have a little bit extra, it feels pretty good. And the people there at work, and I say there as if it's a place, I I work from home, but the people I interact with online, vis-a-vis this job, are very professional. You know, Um, Nothing's perfect, like right now, I am using Git, that's Golf India Tango, Git, to clone the repo. That means source code. That's computer talk for programs. And the repo is big because it has a big history, it's about, I think it's around 100 gigs or more. Um, I'm really not too sure because every time I try to clone, it pretty much fails. But I'm doing it, I'm cloning right now and it's downloading and if I don't get a network failure soon, which is unlikely, it could complete within a few hours, but I don't know, I don't know. The good news is I have a workaround, the bad news is when it comes to source control, I hate workarounds, you know, I hate having to do things to make it work. Um. I don't really want to spend time on a technical subject because it is kind of a technical boring subject but the types of engineers you need to build really resilient efficient source control systems centralized or decentralized version control the types of engineers you need are people that are working on online gaming you know they're they're working with synchronizing gaming networks Because there's money, it's a job. I mean, the reality is source control exists within a class of problems in computer science that deals with concurrency. And concurrency sounds simple, but what concurrency amounts to is taking two or more agents in a system, some of which could be people interacting with a system, and synchronizing the results, a shared map of the world between multiple agents. That is a concurrency problem, and if the shared map is a video game, that's great, but the shared map could also be, you know, source code for for the video game. And whereas there's lots of money to pay for those really great game programmers, there's not a lot of money in source control. And so... The real issue with source control isn't so much technical as it's a human resources issue. And at this point, it just doesn't fucking matter. It doesn't. This is a good job. And I will try to make this job work as long as I can. I am unlikely to give you very many details about it. Because, yeah, who knows? Who, who knows who might be listening? But so far, so good is what I say. But even with that, if you said to me, well, Dan, does that mean, you know, you're getting more optimistic or something? You know, I interacted with a lot of interesting people in 2020. And in retrospect, I'm not sure they were all real. I mean, in some cases, I met them in person. And you could say, well, that means they're real. But I don't really know. I know that I was being gaslighted by multiple folks I met off of Twitter. And I also know that... Pretty much, it, it kind of followed a schedule, and it still does. Like, I recently had some folks I interacted with in Seattle, you know, get back to me and say, you know, we're no longer into the doom and gloom. And what's really funny is the, these folks in particular, I never saw them as doom and gloom in the first place. I never did. Um, it's weird. And so... You know, when I talk to people, whether they're real or not, fake or otherwise, and they say, are you feeling more optimistic, if that's the question I'm being asked, the answer is about 90 days. Right now, I can take what was zero, more or less zero, for the past year, you know, zero days optimistic, maybe one or two, and it's out to about 90 days, and and maybe that's about as optimistic as I'm going to get for the rest of my life, okay? You know, I, I, I ask the question now, the same question I asked a year ago, where are we at? Because all of the explanations I get, whether it's from the right or the left, Democrats, Republicans, voters, all, including a lot of anarchists and libertarians who are completely infiltrated, a lot of the answers I get are silly. They're absurd. They're weird Chinese conspiracies. They're World War Three conspiracy theories. It's the great reset, Dan. But when I look around, I see either desolation, which is continuing. It, it was happening before the monkey herpes or what you know what I call the COVID. And and really a lot of tipping points, a lot of places where things could go very, very bad very quickly. I don't see a reset. I don't see a centralized cadre controlling some super, super prison planet. What I see is the potential of a planet of people going crazy and tearing each other to pieces over things like food and water. I, that's way more likely and and the reset i don't know what that is to me i i it seems to me that the people that have had power are bugging out in their own way they really are i'm not even sure a lot of these famous you know deaths are real like when you hear somebody died recently i ask the question are they really dead or is that just a really good fucking cover story for bugging out you know I, I wrote this little timeline up prior to the, this podcast because I wanted to just sort of put into my head, you know, where are we at? Listen, 2008, in my opinion, is absolutely the beginning of a great global depression. And that depression is ongoing, it never ended. They call it the the Great Recession, but it is a depression that's been covered over with a lot of printed money, a lot of printed money. And they've been pretty clever about it. You know, they've shoved that money into pension funds. They've shoved that money into really expensive art. They've shoved a lot of that money into crypto. And so it's become relatively inert, especially if it's in crypto. Crypto, in my opinion, is in fact a kind of psyop. It is a managed thing. It's a deep state thing. And its purpose is to be a furnace in the way that China, uh, more or less for about three decades, was the great offset of consumer inflation, because that's what China was. That's what that's its purpose. It wasn't random. It wasn't random that China opened up. China was supposed to serve a purpose. It was supposed to be the lowest cost manufacturer. And that's exactly what it did for about 30 fucking years. And, And that's over. I'm not saying China is over. I'm saying that phase of the globalism is done. It's over, okay? But in a similar sense, when it comes to monetary inflation, something like crypto also serves a purpose. Crypto is a money burner. It's a wealth destroyer. Every time you know they talk about these crypto winters, a lot of people get wiped out, and that is money that is gone it is absolutely a zero-sum game and it's just it's gone it's never those folks will never be made whole again they might buy another coin and be lucky enough to cash out on that coin at the top but the money they lost is gone it is wealth that has been destroyed crypto's purpose is to be one giant broken window factory in you know in that Bastiat economic sense One giant way you can churn through, um, you know, and destroy things. It is the unseen thing, as Bastiat would say. It is designed to destroy, period. So you have this 10-year depression that has been papered over. And then you get to 2019. In 2019, the short-term lending market, you know, the short-term market for funds, was beginning to freeze up. It was failing, okay? The interest rates being charged between banks were getting ridiculous. And these are called overnight rates. These are not long-term rates. These are short-term rates. So that, and, and I'll make this simple, you can unload a fucking container ship. Because without this type of facility, a lot of the globalism, a lot of the trade, would not work at all, really. I mean, back in 2008, I think it was Hank Paulson who said something like, "Well, if, if they don't, you know, pass the toxic asset release, blah blah blah, and give us all the money, money, you know, there's going to be martial law." And he was—he's a liar. He's a creepy old, nasty old liar. I don't even know if he's still alive or if he's bugged out, or—or or, you know, all the above. Um, but that there was some truth in that because the way the system worked. Trade would have stopped. It would have. Because we don't really live in a free enterprise economy. This is part of the big lie. What Hank Paulson and other people were tipping their hat to was the reality that it isn't free enterprise at all. It is a kind of centralized economy. It's not exactly like the Soviet Union, but it might just be a more efficient version of that type of Stalinism that type of command and control. Just more efficient. Instead of pricing out TV sets and radios and all that, instead of trying to control all that, you just control the value of work. You just control the value of effort. You, you turn a knob up and down, and then periodically you, you set things up for your friends so that they can make a little bit of extra money on the sly. That is how our version of Stalinism works, and that's why I call it Neo-Stalinism. And so for the last for the 10 years prior to 2019, for, you know, 2009 to 2019, that decade, I call it a lost decade. I have a podcast from December of 2019, the, the parable of the stranded and unconscious skier. You can listen to it if you want to. I pretty much thought that the previous 10 years was that, that there was two worlds. There was a the world of the reality. That the skier is in a snowbank and the skier is in the dark and the skier is undiscovered and unconscious and the skier is slowly dying but inside their unconscious head they're at the chalet they're with the underwear models they're grabbing women's boobies and they're drinking martinis it's wonderful inside the head there were two economies between 2009 and 2019 there were places like the donut around Washington DC there were you know there was the healthcare economy that got a lot a lot of mega obama bucks and and there was the continuing and it's been continuing since 2001, the continuing war, war budget. I'll just call it that. and the deep state, you know, watch your neighbor budget. The point is, if you were in certain parts of the economy between 2009 and 2019, uh, you know, I think banking probably I'd include that as well, you probably did okay. Maybe you did really well. And if you were a house flipper, flipping houses, flipping them houses in San Fran, you were taking an old rusty you know, knuckly hobo shack and turning it into a a little, you know, a villa, a a, a tiny villa and charging, you know, two million, two million bucks. You know, even though the ground is polluted from World War II with PCBs. Yeah. And then in 2019, like I said, the short-term lending market... The thing that was blowing up to some extent in 2008 started blowing up again. And, you know, I think there were people at the Federal Reserve who probably understood that, that at some point all that printed money um, would enter the consumer economy. That, that 10 years of printed money was a real problem. And they were running out of places to hide it, running out of places and pension funds, running out of, you know, the, the crypto scheme can only go so far before it fails. So yeah, 2019 was a real turning point for those folks. And if you ask me, 2019 is when they decided to pull the trigger on one of the biggest, um, most intricate, and probably well-planned military psychological warfare operations in human history, the great COVID. And it's not over. And it had a lot of smaller sort of limited hangouts. And there still is, to some extent, a limited hangout or an ongoing COVID thing. I mean, the COVID isn't really over. They keep spinning it. They keep pushing it. And, you know, in 2020, when I recognized this, I thought, okay, this is global austerity. This is like what they've been doing to Greece and other countries, but at a global scale, applied to all the hoi polloi, all the peasants, you know. More or less an iron-fisted attempt to clamp down on demand and and basically force a recession that could be justified because it was the pandemic. Right? You know? I, I don't think they had a better idea at that time. And if that's all it was, because like I've said, folks... Best case scenario, we are looking at the train wreck of the U.S. dollar and probably the American empire. And that doesn't mean America has to be a, a hell zone. Maybe we become a freer country again. But the empire that we have is probably going away. It probably is. And all empires do. And why the United States ever decided to go down that road is open for a history student to study. I'd recommend studying um Both the events prior to and all the hearings and debates that followed the Spanish-American War of more than 120 years ago. I would recommend studying that because if you want to understand where things really started to go awry, you could say it was there. But in reality, those of us who believe that there was a coup d'etat in 1787... It probably started with the Constitution. It was always going to be a document that led to an empire. It was always going to do that. It was going to be a document that took your freedoms and then sold them back to you for an income tax, right? So I don't know. If you want to figure out at what point in time things went awry, I don't know what, how you pinpoint that. As an anarchist, I would tell you things go awry when you take your dignity, your freedom, your responsibilities as an ethical spirit, and you offload them, you outsource them to somebody else. That's step A. And that is really the history of government, okay? You can work with people cooperatively, voluntarily. You can have systems in place that would look a little bit like the systems we have today. But if they're voluntary, that also means they're connected to reality. They're connected to the system around you, which ultimately also means the ecosystem. It does. You know, folks want to know why I'm an anarchist. One of the reasons I'm an anarchist is because I do believe the type of civilization that we've been suckered into is causing a lot of ecological damage. I I believe it is. I'm not saying I believe in Al Gore's climate change. I don't even know if he's a real thing. He's also kind of a constructed thing. Like how real Al Gore is, is open to debate. But as far as his philosophical position goes, I don't think he's A real person. I don't think Greta Thunberg is someone that actually believes the shit she says. I think these are more or less actors and the debate around climate change is a controlled government debate and you know you can ask all kinds of questions just don't question the narrative especially when it comes to things like green energy. This is a little bit off the tangent but not so much. I was watching a documentary called Planet of the Humans And despite the fact that it kind of does sort of place a lot of blame on capitalism, again, I don't think we have capitalism right now. I don't think we have free enterprise. I think what we have is what I call neo-Stalinism. And so when people blame capitalism, I just, I have to shake my head. You have to have a free society to have capitalism. You really do. You can't just put people in jail and have a law against everything and say, oh, but at least we're capitalist. no. You're something. You're you're not a capitalist society. But other than the fact that, you know, the narrator and the film kind of goes after capitalism towards the end, I think Planet of the Humans is one of the most interesting documentaries I've seen in the last 10 years. And in part because it goes to one of the big lies. Because along with climate change and all that other shit they try to, you know... <laughs> they try to force down your throat, there's green energy, there's renewable energy, green energy will save us. But if you dig into renewable energy, and and, and I would even include nuclear energy, by the way, if you dig into this, what you find is a giant infrastructure of oil and natural gas and coal that enables these things. Like there is no nuclear powered caterpillar that is going to help you, you know, mine your uranium. For it to really be an alternative to oil, you'd have to see things like that. You'd have to see trucks powered by nuclear power if you believe nuclear is the option. But the reality is the uranium mining, the transport of uranium, the construction of these nuclear power plants, you need a lot of fossil fuels to get that done. And if your answer is, but the nuclear power plant will last forever, it'll last until it doesn't, right? Nothing does last forever. I'm sorry. You know, and this is one of the reasons why I get upset with a lot of Christians out there. I am a Christian, but there are a lot of Christians out there who describe current reality in terms of Eden. Like, you know, whether it's, abiotic oil or the magical sources of water deep in the earth. They come up with a lot of really just cockamamie, cockamamie bullshit and they try to sell you on the idea that you can poop and piss and pollute this world without consequence. But this isn't Eden. This is a place of curses. It really is. This is not a place where you are going to become God, be God, or have the powers of God. This is not Eden. Okay. In this world, people die, good people die. In this world, civilizations go too far and they collapse. In this world, there are giant things called consequences. You know. The reality of green energy and renewable energy is it's also kind of a psyop, in my opinion. It's a way of keeping people um, from asking the right questions. A lot like COVID you know COVID was powerful because it totally kept people from asking the right questions even the people that think they're close to the truth because of a lab leak a lab leak of the magical virus a magical virus that to my knowledge based on on what I saw in 2020 does not exist okay a lot of people got the cold some people got the flu if you went to a hospital like any other fucking year you ran the risk of the hospital killing you And the great news about COVID is it enabled a bunch of hospitals to basically take their malpractice, okay, their inability to keep their rooms clean and offload that to COVID. Oh, it it wasn't the fact that we have a bad mold infestation at our hospital. It was the COVID. It wasn't because, you know, you know, little Johnny, what's his name, had MRSA and we didn't properly manage the room before Grandma Amy came in. It was the fucking COVID. But prior to the COVID, American hospitals killed about 200,000 people every fucking year because they couldn't keep their fucking rooms clean and they couldn't manage hospital-acquired infection. Okay? After the COVID, the flu disappeared, and I'd be willing to bet... (laughs) I people need to bet that a lot of the hospital-acquired infection disappeared, too. It just vanished. It's COVID now. COVID monkey herpes. It wasn't anything else other than the fucking COVID. Green energy works a lot like COVID. A lot of virtue signaling. A lot of you don't care like I care. But if you dig into the electric car, if you dig into solar, if you dig into any of these things, you will find what in this documentary they do a great job of describing, and I've known this for many years, you will find a lot of fossil fuels enabling it. You know, and the reality is none of these are closed loop systems. So if someone were to say, you know, I built the solar plant, okay, let's pretend for a moment you don't need fossil fuels to actually make the grid work. You do, but let's pretend you don't. Do you have a solar plant that currently can reproduce and replace all of its solar panels, all of its electronics? Can it maintain itself? Because if it can't, that means there's an external dependence on energy. And in a world like that, all you're really telling me is you're doing a bait and switch. And it's actually worse than that. It's not just that the Tesla giga plant needs to be connected to the grid. It's not just that some solar plant or solar thermal plant, needs natural gas to heat up the element prior to the sun rising, um, it's worse than that, really. In a lot of cases, if you actually do accurate accounting of cost, it would simply be more efficient to use the fossil fuels as is, instead of using them to build these solar plants and solar panels And uh, wind farms. And and no one, especially people in the Democratic Party, nobody wants to come to grips with the simple fucking fact that it would be simply more efficient to use the gasoline and the diesel and all the other resources as is instead of pouring them into these green energy projects. But the green energy stuff, it just makes people feel better. Makes them feel better about what they're doing. It makes them feel like they're saving the planet. And the reality is, their best case scenario, they're making no difference. Okay, best case. No, not saving shit. Not changing anything, the trajectory is still the same. You can believe, if you want, that there's an infinite amount of cheap oil and, and coal and you can use these without consequences. But you don't get to believe green energy is going to save you because the reality is it's not. The, the cost model, does, the numbers don't add up. So do your own research if you want to. And, you know, I'll, I'll get an email where someone will say, well, Dan, won't the technology for solar improve? Yeah, it could. It could. There are technological advancements that could occur. The problem is we currently live in a litigious, legalistic, neo-Stalinist hellhole. And in those places, it's actually hard to do the kind of entrepreneurship that would lead to real change. You can do the centralized kind. You can do the inside the beltway kind. You can do the kind that involves, you know, a lot of criminal activity, a lot of bribery. You can do that, but you can't actually do, in my opinion, in America today, what the Wright brothers did more than 100 years ago. If if the Wright brothers were doing that in today's litigious America, they would have been sent to jail or killed. They would have been. It wouldn't have been, oh great, look at what they're doing. No, no, no. Jail or death or both. Yeah, likely both. So I don't know where we're at. I don't, okay? A lot of people will look at the Ukraine and say, well, it looks like it's going to be World War III, and it could be, it could be. But the reality is, we don't have the conventional weapons manufacturing base for World War II, World War III like we did for World War II, and, and there's a couple reasons. The main reason is we build weapons very differently today. In some ways, the way we build weapons today is more like the pre-industrial period. It takes it takes a while. It takes a lot of hands, a lot of skilled labor to build an F-35. So you're going to run out of your F-35s pretty fast, especially if they just catch fire on the ground, okay? And you're going to run out of your missiles fast, and you're going to run out of all this stuff fast, and there is no fast way to make a lot of any of this stuff. There isn't currently, okay? We are not geared up for that. So if you're thinking about World War III like it's World War II, and you're going to get your ration cards, here's the reality from people who've studied this if we had a full-scale conventional war between the United States and Russia and God forbid China at the same time we would all burn through our conventional weapons very quickly and then it would become a question of do you pause and wait or do you just go to nuclear because nuclear is what's up next up on the menu nuclear warfare now if you look at it from the perspective of Russia and China and they look at the United States today they would be fair in assessing that our current government is insane and I'm not saying Trump was any better, but really are we are we at that point? If you want mutual assured destruction to work, there is a very critical keystone concept that has to be true. this has to be true, otherwise mutual assured destruction does not work. You have to believe. Even if your opponent is a sociopath, you have to believe your opponent is sane or rational. You have to believe that they're making rational decisions. If, for example, that dude that led Heaven's Gate, you know, the the matching track suits, the Adidas, the shaved heads, the junk removed. Yeah, that dude, what if he was president? It wasn't just he was, you know, leader of a cult and a number of people died because Hale-Bopp was coming back. But imagine... That dude, you know, Applewhite, Applegate, whatever the fuck his name was, imagine him as president. No, he he would not be someone considered to be a rational actor. And so both China and Russia would have an incentive to conduct probably strategic and as precise as possible first strike with nuclear weapons. That's the, the scary reality of where we're at right now. If you believe... That the government of China and the government of Russia, if you believe they're independent agents, that they can make their own decisions and that they're not being influenced by the quote-unquote global cabal, then looking at the United States about the only conclusion they can come to is that they need to decapitate the command and control as soon as possible because they do not face a rational opponent. They face someone who is mentally ill, might even literally be mentally ill, like have Dementia that's so bad that this person's capable of making just catastrophically terrible decisions And if that's the case, you don't really want to give that crazy person the opportunity to first strike you 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 really do want to take him out first That's why the Ukraine thing looks smelly If we're talking about where we're at right now The Ukraine thing looks smelly to me in part Um... Because, well, number one, even though you could make the argument that Putin had a justification for doing what he did, um, firstly, I don't think it was wise. I, I think that when Putin decided to launch the attack, he made a mistake. It's, it's not about whether it's justified. I think there are people who, who made the argument that it's justified, but it just wasn't very wise. It, and now, what month are we in? Are we in the third, fourth, fifth month of it now? This is the type of operation you don't want to last more than a few months because at some point it does become just a war of attrition. So I I don't know what to tell you about the Ukraine. One of the interesting fun facts about the Ukraine situation is it's shutting down most, not all, but most of the cooperative research, scientific research that happens around the Arctic Circle. Okay, the portion of the Arctic Circle that Russia spans is about 60%. And there are some really critical areas of the Arctic Arctic Circle that are of interest. You know, if you if you care about whether or not you survive the next few years, there are some interest interesting areas that are now for all intents and purposes off limits, you know? So if there is study happening in the Eastern Siberian Arctic Shelf, it's not data that we necessarily are going to get access to. It's it's random, I'm sure. It's like the covid just completely random. I don't know. At the end of 2020, if someone asked me looking out into the future more than 90 days, really just one day. At the end of 2020, if you said, "Dan, what do you see as a human being intuitively looking into the future?" and all I really saw at the time was an empty chalkboard, which is to say that I didn't really see anything. But now looking back, I think I saw exactly what it was. And, and, and it's not the empty chalkboard, it's the great emptiness. Okay, imagine you're Wiley Coyote, we love talking about Wiley, and you're coasting out over the canyon. You're still kind of pretending to be running, but you're running in midair. But then you look down, and at that moment you look down, that's when you fall. At the end of 2020, it seemed like we were looking down. I mean, we were looking down. Some of us were. A lot of people were still looking forward and pretending to run through empty space. But a few of us, and and I wasn't the only person, maybe a bunch of us looked out and, yeah, we saw the canyon floor thousands of feet below. We saw the reality of the dried bones. We saw what was going to happen next. And it is a big, empty nothing. That's where we're at, I think. I don't know that it's the end of the world. I'm a Christian. So if you ask me, is it... Oh, crap. Hold on. Oh! Oh, boy. That's just my phone alarm going off. Because usually I wake up at 6 a.m. for my work-from-home job like Carl. Yeah, just like Carl. Like Carl from Aqua Teen. When When I ask the question where we're at, I don't really have a definitive, a definitive answer. I think best-case scenario, we are looking into the chasm of what happens when empires fall apart. And there are a lot of people who are pandering this wishful thinking narrative now, especially in the alt world, that, well, yeah, it's collapsing, Dan, but like Rome, it's going to take hundreds of years. Well, actually, Rome didn't really collapse that way. Okay, that's number one. Number two, as all you fuckers love to tell me, things move a bit faster these days. And I'd say, last but not least, this empire is ratcheted up way above Rome. Okay, we're not talking Rome scale, we're talking mega scale global empire. Something like that has a lot of pent up energy, a lot of energies in that system economic energy, social energy, psychological energy. And a lot of that energy is about to be released because the system is, in my opinion, in collapse. And the way in which that release of energy will impact you will vary. If you live in a city, it's going to be a lot of social disruption, especially if the food situation gets dodgy. And I know there are a lot of people out there who say, well, Dan, that can never happen. We're always going to have all the food we're ever going to ever, ever need. And if you want to believe that, you can. I, I will tell you, you will get no warning. All right? You won't. I think things are set up in such a way that it won't be gradual. It won't be graceful. It will probably be more like you go to the grocery store one day and maybe a few things are missing and a week later there's just nothing there. I think it's gonna move that fast, especially if you live in a city. And I don't believe there is any police department or military in the United States or on planet Earth that is going to handle the billions of starving people. I don't think it's feasible. One of the arguments that was made about COVID is that they needed to kill people off. Well, if that's the case, you know, it seems like I would know more people that, that have died of the vaccine. Right now, I don't really know anybody that's died because of the vaccine. I know people that have died for other reasons. I'm pretty certain people I've known have been destroyed by the psychological warfare. But as far as the, the, the vaccine goes, I don't know anybody that's died because of the vaccine just like I don't know anybody who has legitimately died of the COVID. So if you were saying, well, maybe they were using the COVID to control the people, so when the people you know, go crazy, there aren't so many, well, then that's a giant fail. But to me, it's more likely they're using the PSYOP to control the situation prior to exit. Okay, The PSYOP is not about the resets. The PSYOPs are, are not about anything other than covering the escape. Covering their escape to wherever they're going to fucking go. And who the fuck knows? You know the same thing that I know. And George Carlin knows. It's a small club. Maybe it's a big club. But you're not a member and neither am I. And it seems like in the last few years a lot of people have been bugging out. Members of that club. Going someplace. And you're not invited. That's where I think we're at. I think we're almost at the point in the game where you, yeah, you have a bunch of people who had run the world, who had been in charge for, as a culture, really, maybe as a group of people within a culture for thousands of years, and they're bugging out. And so you have to ask yourself, okay, then what? If it was just the collapse of the US dollar, if that's all that it was, I don't think we would be in the third year of these PSYOPs, at the scale they're being conducted, but we are. You know. I don't know what the Ukraine war is, but it does serve a purpose of control. And it does create a narrative of good versus evil. And these are the types of things that keep people busy, and keep them confused, and keep them from asking the right fucking question. I didn't really want to spend the bulk of this podcast on just talking about this issue, but I, 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 I don't know what to say. My mind is all over the place. I don't believe it's the end of the world, but I also don't think we're heading back to anything remotely normal. And I don't think that we are either promised or guaranteed any kind any kind of gentle or graceful failure. Okay, A lot of people who understand that we are in collapse are still spinning the gentle easy, kind of graceful collapse, and I don't think that's likely, okay? It's not going to be Hollywood. You're not going to be able to get makeup and shave your legs. The reality is what's coming is going to be smelly and dirty and messy. And best case scenario, it's multiple decades of economic depression. Best case, if we're lucky. If we're really, really lucky, it's going to be a step back in technology because a lot of this technology won't be maintained, sorry, In order to keep your roads and your aqueducts and all your fancy technology roam, there are people that have to maintain it. And when that maintenance stops, that's also a sign of collapse. Well, we're at that point now. It's true they spend a lot of money, but what do they get for it? You know, think about all these giant spending bills where they say, oh, we're going to fix all the infrastructure by spending a trillion bucks. But a trillion bucks ain't what it used to be. And so you're not really going to get a trillion dollars worth of value. Probably compared to 30 or 40 years ago, maybe you get 10 or 15 billion. I'm being honest. And it's not just because of inflation. It's because government at this scale is 100% pure inefficiency. So there is no way for it to do the things it says it can do. No way. It's not even feasible for it to be a productive efficient contributor in any way. So if you give it a trillion bucks, it's simply going to waste most of it and then some small portion will build a bridge here, fix a highway there. That's where we're at in the game. You are not promised a graceful linear kind of nice gentle descent. What you are facing is the recognition that you you and I, this whole country is in midair in midair, just like Wiley e. Coyote, and the very moment you look down is when you understand like I understand that there is nothing beneath your feet at all for a long distance. Doesn't mean it's the end of the world. It does mean life is about to get really fucking interesting. And if you're my age or older, if you're about 50 years old, the brutal truth is, is that these could be the final years of your life. Because in the world to come, life expectancy is going to change radically. I'm sorry. It already is happening. Nobody wants to talk about it. They're blaming it on the monkey herpes, but it was really starting before the monkey herpes. But um, it was already happening. It's just that it's going to accelerate. And so life expectancy for you and I, if you're over 50, is going to be way closer to what it was 100 years ago than, than what it was just five years ago. That's probably the case. And so all these stories about, oh, you're going to live to be 100, 150, I don't know. Maybe some rich people in a bunker someplace who've stored up all the energy and food they need will live to be 120, okay? I don't know. It's possible. But for the rest of us, it's going to boil down to, you know, that kind of um, Hobbesian life is nasty, brutal, and short. That's That's where we're headed for a while. Best case. We're headed that direction. It doesn't mean it's forever, but it's where we're headed. It's also not something that, you know, was inevitable. Like, I think at some point in the near past and certainly in American history, Americans could have made different choices and influenced the world. We could have chosen freedom over this weird financial tyranny. But the financial tyranny gave us free bucks, free money. Not all of us, but some of us. And the political class was well fed. And so we ended up where we ended up. It didn't have to be that way, but it is what happened. And with the amount of energy in the system at this point, it's inevitable, okay? Barring cosmic, you know, interference, like some spaceship showing up and giving us magical free energy technology, I mean, something like that could change the equation. And if the Lord in heaven wanted us to have that, I'm sure that the Lord can make it happen. But I don't think any of that's gonna happen. I think we're kind of looking at the end of a of an era. And what happens next, as far as civilization goes, is gonna have a lot to do with a lot of people making the best decisions they can make, the most rational decisions they can make. But brothers and sisters, it's not gonna be easy. If you're over the age of 50, these will be some tough years. If you're highly dependent upon the medical system, upon pharmaceuticals, these are going to be maybe impossible years. And I could say, you know, look into alternative medicine and herbal therapy and remedies, and that's just a lot of fancy talk for, I have no idea what the fuck you're going to do. If, if, you, are, if you suffer from diabetes of any form and you depend upon a pill or an injection, to not end up dying eventually, then that's gonna be hard. I don't know what to tell you. If you currently are you know, undergoing cancer treatments, that kind of thing could get interrupted. If you suffer from depression and you depend upon antidepressants, I don't want to tell you those antidepressants will not be available. So one thing I do think is true, if you are currently somebody my age and you depend upon a lot of big pharma to stay alive, then you need then you do need to come up with a plan if you want to survive if you don't give a fuck like uncle Dan in a way I don't give a fuck it's not that I want to die but I don't care about you know trading my dignity for a couple more years of existence if you're like me then it doesn't matter You live your life, you try to be happy, you do the best you can with what you have, and no matter how healthy you are, no matter how safe you are, no matter what you do, if it's your time to die, you will die. This is not Eden, okay? This is not a place where you get to short-circuit the constraints of physical reality. This is a tough, tough place, and yeah, for about 50 years after World War II, America, was in a delusional state, believing that somehow, somehow, some way, all of the old constraints were going away forever. It's like Moore's Law. Look at Moore's Law. Computers are just going to get faster and faster and faster. Well, but also, I've got two fucking power supplies that plug into my family truckster, and frankly, you know, it's been finicky. So when people say to me about the whole Moore's Law thing, I really can only tell you that it's not really a law. It's an observation of an empirical reality over a period of time. I'm not really sure that you can call that a law. But if it is a law, it's, it's probably not true. Which is to say, it's not a law. You know, If it's something you think is real, you should study it, but you'll probably find out that it's just not real. It's not. If you want to survive the next 10, 20, 30 years, the best strategy is to accept that a lot of things you depend upon won't be there. If you depend upon the system giving you money, well, there won't be any money. If you live in a city and you depend upon a grocery store having food, there's probably going to be a period of time where there's going to be no food. And whatever you think the value of your home is, if you can't eat, the value is zero. Okay, so if you have a really expensive home, a really expensive home, in a fancy-pants city. If you have a really fancy home in a fancy-pants city, maybe not a fancy home, but an expensive home because everything's expensive if you got a million dollar home today great but i don't think it's that far in the future it's going to be it's not that it's going to lose its value so oh, it's just going to drop in price if i i just got to hold on to it no if there's no food let's just say that for statistically speaking for one to two years Almost no food gets delivered to major cities in the United States. Okay, one to two years. We're not talking about decades. We're talking about the siege of Leningrad. What I'm telling you is during the siege of Leningrad, the value of your property, if you didn't live in a communist state, which they did, but the value of your property is going to be zero. It's not that it goes down, it's zero. There's going to come a point in the near future where your property's value will go to zero. Maybe in the future, it'll have some value again. But if you have no way to eat and no way to get clean water, the real value of your fancy piece of property is nothing. No one's going to buy it. No one's going to save you from it. The longer you stay there, the more likely it is you're going to die. And that, I think, is weeks, months away. It's already happening in some places around the world. It's coming to the United States too. And I guess before I leave this topic, I'd add this. I am a Christian. I believe in God, unashamedly. But I also understand that there is prophecy. And you can look at prophecy and potentially say to yourself, it looks like some of the things that prophecy discusses are happening specifically with with reference to the end times, to eschatology, to the final period. And I kind of agree. I can't believe I'm saying it. I mean, I'm not ready to pretend that I have an understanding where I could say yes or no. But if you were to ask me, what percentage chance today do you think it is that we are on the verge of the tribulation or maybe even in the beginning of it, I'd say 65 to 70%, which is way higher than I would have given it in 2019, just a few years ago. I mean, I'd say in September of 2019, at one point in September, I probably would have said something like, yeah, it it seems like a flip of the coin. But maybe I should say 2018. If you'd asked me five, six years ago, I would have said maybe 50-50. But now I think, yeah, better than 50%. That's where I'm at with that. You know, that doesn't mean we're in the end times. It just means if I were trying to wager on this, at this point, it seems more likely than not that we could be. yeah. Or there is no God. Because if we're about to face what I think we're facing, which can only be classified as a 10,000-year event, that would be, in historical terms, a reference point for the tribulation. Something so big... um, so disastrous, so dangerous, such a dangerous period of time that the only comparable thing would be the end times. Yeah, maybe. But then again, if you lived in the 14th century in certain parts of the world, you might have thought that was the end times. So I'm not ready to tell you one way or the other, to be honest with you. A little more than 50%, a little more than the flip of a coin is where I'm at. I am not ready to say, oh boy, you better get ready... For all of it, including the rapture. I have friends who believe in the rapture, the rapture of believers, and I have friends who don't, and I, I don't believe it's salvation critical, whether you believe or don't believe in the rapture. But hey, if it is the tribulation or the beginning of it, then the rapture should happen pretty soon. You know, Kurt Cameron, left behind. That could be days and weeks away. I don't know. As I was watching this, you know, documentary Planet of the Humans, I came across a new cosmology. Maybe the most advanced cosmology ever developed. We're we're familiar with the basic cosmologies involving the Earth-Sun system and the nature of the universe, the Big Bang, blah, blah, blah. But I was thinking about those wind farms. You know? Those wind farms. You see them everywhere. They've been building them for a few years now. There are wind farms everywhere, baby. What if, and I know you're gonna hate me, what if there is no real space, at least not the way we understand it? What if the Earth is not a spear? What if, in fact, the Earth is a giant floating island? What if the Earth is a floating island, baby? The earth is a floating island, baby. You see, if the earth is a giant floating island out on a giant, infinite ocean, or maybe it's not infinite, but it's a big ocean. So if the Earth is a giant floating island, it explains a lot. It explains earthquakes, you know, you get earthquakes because the water becomes all rough and the island starts shaking a little because you've got those giant mega waves. Maybe these waves are like 10 miles high, 30 miles high, and they're always hitting the edge of the world, you know, the edge of the planet where we call, what we call Antarctica. But what if it is a big old floating island floating on an infinite ocean? And so our oceans would just be lakes in that sense, large lakes. But maybe they're connected through tunnels to the the giant infinite ocean. So if you go down deep enough, you can get to these tunnels and you can travel to the infinite sea where the giant whales are. The giant salmon, the giant cod for, you know, mega fish and chips, baby... If the Earth is a giant floating island, and that's a big if, okay? It's Friday morning, fuck you. If the Earth is a giant floating island, floating out there on an infinite ocean, then maybe these wind farms aren't what you think they are. Maybe when you see those propellers spinning, you know, they're spinning real fast. Maybe it's not the wind, you know, driving the propeller, but the propeller is in fact acting as propulsion. What if many years ago, the leaders of the planet, not the planet, but really the island earth, this island earth. What if many years ago on this island earth, they held a committee meeting someplace? Probably someplace in Rome, like the Club of Rome or something, some kind of bullshit. And the bigwigs and the scientists said, you know what, this is getting really boring. We, we don't know what to do next. Why don't we try to push this island some direction and move it someplace well we'd have to build a lot of these fucking propellers we'd have to put them all around the world and we'd have to tell people it's for generating electricity but in reality it's for pushing the great island pushing the great island towards the horizon moving towards infinity finding love Yes, the Great Island Earth is powered, driven, propelled by giant propellers. You think they're wind farms, but they're really giant electric engines. And that's why they catch fire every once in a while, baby. Not because it's a stupid green energy thing, not because, you know, it's crappy equipment. No, because they're electric motors and they catch fire because they're juicing it, baby. They're pushing the great island earth towards the horizon, using propellers above and below, moving towards a destination, unbeknownst to any. They're moving towards the horizon. Yeah, that's enough of that the great cosmology of the great island earth, and how it's connected to the wind farms. I know, I know, I know. Too early for that. Here's a quote from Dr. Freckles. All ADD is overcome by FOMO. Okay, what does that mean? Well, so there's some dogs that live here. Dogs that live in this house, and I get to walk them once in a while when, when it's the right time of day. And, you know, they're... They're all kind of similar this way. Their attention is everywhere. I mean, I guess it's just normal for them to be a little bit ADD. But if there's something going on upstairs, and they're downstairs, and they can't get upstairs, it doesn't matter, even if you have bacon in your hand, in many cases, well, that's probably the exception. They would come for the bacon. But no, if they think something's going on, they focus. They have attention, you know. They don't want to miss out. And I think people are the same, especially these days about the only time our attention becomes focused is because some shiny thing in our reality, some signal, some, yeah, dog whistle goes off and says, oh my gosh, you better not miss out on this. You better see this. This is the biggest thing ever. If you don't get involved in this, you're gonna be poor. Your wife will leave you. You won't own a home, period. Don't miss out, right? Oh, next topic. So this one is a, another quote from Dr. Freckles, kind of related. You don't train dogs. You sign peace agreements with them. You hope those agreements hold. And this is true. You know, there, there is a school of thought that will say only human beings have the kind of consciousness we have. And, you know, if we, if we talk to dogs like they're people, we're anthropomorphizing, fine. I, I I don't think it's that simple. Do I think that, you know, Boomer the dog has the same thoughts that I have? No. He's a fucking dog. But do I think he has consciousness at at a, at a certain level? Yeah. I think he has consciousness at a certain level. I think that there is an awareness there. I think there's enough consciousness in, you know, your average dog... To give them a kind of rich psychical life, to have a rich psychological reality. And that includes the pleasure and the pain, the good and the bad. And if you say to me, you know, how do you train that, well, maybe it's not as much about training as negotiating. Maybe part of it is understanding, you know, where the incentives are, okay? You know, you can can be angry with a dog if you want to and you can yell at a dog and you can even use cruelty to train a dog. But for me, it makes more sense to just understand at least where the dog's coming from and then negotiate that space. There are things that can be allowed and things that can't be allowed. Boomer really can't be allowed to just walk on his own. And that's why he's constantly trying to escape when you walk with him. And it's not that he's a bad dog. He just wants to go have some fun. And I don't blame him. I mean, I get it. On the other hand, if Boomer's just running around like a crazy Sharpe, he runs the risk of getting himself into trouble. So there's a a problem where you don't really let the dog do what it wants to do. But other things, you can say, okay, you can do this. You can have this space. If you want to go sniff something, I can stop for a second and respect what you want and what your needs are. And to some extent, I think doing this with animals works. Does this mean animals are equal to people? No, not at all. It just means that, If you want to have a relationship with nature in any way, being aggressive and forceful is probably not a great strategy. I'm not saying it can't work. I'm saying that even if it does work, the outcomes are usually not that great. I say, why not negotiate a little bit? Why not come to understand your situation? And if if you have a dog, try to, to the best of your ability, try to understand where that dog, or God forbid, even that cat, Try to understand where they're coming from. I mean, I think the psychological issues with a dog are more similar to people than than a cat. But even cats probably have some thoughts in there that aren't just totally sociopathic. But no, I think, yeah. There. Next topic. And I may go over an hour because... uh, I've got a lot of topics to finish, and I really spent a lot of time on that first stuff, and I don't know what to say about that. Um, so I was out and about the other day, and I went to McDonald's. I was I was out, and I decided to go get you know some food at McDonald's, right? But food at McDonald's, for trademark and legal reasons, is spelled F-U-U-D. I ordered a number six with extra cheese sauce and a side order of Jingo fries. They served me two hours later. They gave me a brown bag full of pain and broken glass and diesel fuel. And they said, have a nice day. So I had to stab them, baby. The other day I went to Subway, Subway sandwich shop. I really wanted a tuna sandwich. I really wanted some of that fresh ocean tuna. I've been watching a nature show about sharks that can't find no no more food, so they're starting to eat more kids who go swimming. After that, there was a documentary about Fukushima. And I got really hungry, looking at those sharks, those sharks, those sharks, like I'm yeah, Boston. I got really hungry looking at those sharks eating those damn kids because they were so damn hungry. And I wanted a tuna sandwich. So I went to the subway off of Blimpton. Not far from Grincon Avenue. Where those people were killed last year. You remember that incident? They were killed because they didn't have the right looks on their faces. At the the subway, at the subway they asked me what I wanted. And I said, give me a fucking foot long tuna sandwich, baby. The manager went in the back. He scooped up some marinated fiberglass from a bin in the back. He mixed it with used motor oil and misery. Then they put it in the Easy Bake Oven. But first they said, What kind of bread do you want? And it made me so angry. What kind of bread? How about the kind of bread that doesn't contain wrestling mat material? I yelled in response. And then they smathered sphincter sauce, Sprinter sauce and gumbo grease on it and pissed on it and shoved it all in a bag of... They shoved it all in a plastic bag made of recycled condoms. (laughs) And I was so thankful. Thankful for that tuna. I went down to Chevron. They sell fuel. They sell hookers. They sell sawed-off shotguns and whiskey-style nightmares. I went down to Chevron. They have this heating lamp zone where the hot dogs slowly die of dehydration and hamburgers are made from fairy rat and whale vomit and you can have them for 5 bucks. It'll be 20 bucks next week. So get them burgers while you can. They had these new nuggets for sale. They were they had nuggets for sale. Four dollars a dozen. Seemed too good to be true. They were golden and glistening and steamy and moist. They're called tasty nuggets, is what they're called. And and I went up to the cashier. I said, "Are these really just four bucks?" And she gave me a quizzical look as she rubbed her bumpus and enjubilated in her underwear. Uh yeah. It's a new product from corporate. There's some kind of nugget. What kind of nugget? It's protein-based. Plant protein? Nah, some kind of synthetic protein from India made from some kind of creature that lives there. Then why call it synthetic? And she just told me, well, I just work here, baby. And she rubbed her bum again. I bought a box of these nuggets. And they tasted so good, I bought two more boxes. I've only been eating these nuggets for for several weeks now. My hair is falling out. My fingernails are becoming thicker and sharper. I can't stand the light. It burns. But I love these fucking nuggets. My new girlfriend, the stripper, she said, let's go to Zander's, baby. She spread her legs a little as she said it. I need some wings and cheese kurgles, Misty said as she puffed her clove cigarette. Sure, Misty, let's go. They had baby back-style chicken ribs and Cleveland-style steamed ocean clams and oysters. They had mustard-rubbed peglet breast and trib juice. We wanted to order junctus with a side of wall crabs, but it seemed too much. And the bill after we were done was just four hundred bucks, we dodged a bullet. I went to the cosmopolitan in Vegas with Misty, my stripper hooker girlfriend. We were hustling Scarsdale blues and elegant champagne mortgage-backed tortilla bars. We played blackjack and craps and spun the wheel. We enjoyed the jacuzzi vodka bar and the iced tea hot tub tilapia brunch. My hooker wife asked me, you got more gold for the doorman? And I just smiled and fired my, fired my pistol. I cleaned the brain goo from my Italian loafers. It was a real good time. Going out. Next topic. Huh. Yeah, so. I've been using some shows as a kind of white noise for work. Um, And I've been watching the show Britannia on Amazon. It's ostensibly quasi-historical. I say quasi because it's not really that historically accurate, but it's quasi-historical about the Roman invasion of England in the first century AD um, under the Emperor Claudius. And, you know very early in the invasion, the, the, um, (laughs) the Druids, the Druids are sending messages to the Roman general. And one of the ways that they end up sending messages to each other is by cramming, you know, some whatever paper, a scroll, a little bit of scroll. They jam a little bit of scroll with some writing on it into somebody's, you know, face, their head, after they've been beheaded. And so it's, it kind of made me think about that in terms of email. Like, imagine if email were that fucking serious. That the only way you could send an email was to cut off somebody's head and jam a message into it. And then using, like, a catapult to launch it at, you know, whoever you want to read the fucking message. That's pretty dark. Yeah. Next topic. Okay, so Zero Hedge makes money from advertising, and so they have the space, you know, on their site kind of rented out to these these different ads that show up. And this one ad showed up for Mobella, the arm up, Mobella. And the quote for the ad is, mobility aids to have to be clinical and ugly. Mobility aids to have to be clinical and ugly. So the way I interpret this almost Yoda sentence is you, you have these mobility aids in order to be clinical and ugly. And I thought this is a really bad advertising message, a lot like you know selling the Nova, I think, was it the Chevy Nova in Mexico back in the day? Because Nova means no run. But in this case, it says mobility aids to have to be clinical and ugly mobility aids to own to be clinical and ugly. If you have Mobella, you will be clinical and ugly. Now, of course, Dan, that was just a misspelling, poorly constructed sentence. You're mocking somebody at Fiverr, probably. Probably they were paid 50 cents. Maybe they bought a bowl of rice, right, for eight hours work. Next, go to the notes and read it yourself. Next topic. So there was an article on Zero Hedge a week or so ago, and it was in the news that President Biden tested positive for the monkey herpes. Like I said, brothers and sisters, I don't believe it's a thing. So whatever he tested positive for, it wasn't the monkey herpes. But there was an article about it. And I will say, one of the things I got wrong, but, you know... It's okay, because I'm not a soothsayer, I can't see the future. But one of the things I got wrong is I kind of thought they were going to kill off old Joe early on. Like, I thought 2021 was going to be the year that the deep state took him out. But no, no, it it didn't happen. But then recently I thought, you know, given the whole trauma drama of the upcoming midterm elections, if you believe any of that is legit, it does add a dramatic twist propaganda-wise if old Joe disappears. Because imagine that, like, let's say in August or September, Joseph Biden, Joe Biden, dies of the monkey herpes. And and then you get the whole, you know, funeral oration from Kamala, and gosh, she could even pick, you know, Hillary Clinton as her vice president. And all of that would be really interesting, wouldn't it? Kamala Harris and Clinton. Now you say, Dan, that's crazy, and I agree, it is batshit crazy shit. But... What if? Everybody gets to play. When I, You know, I brought this up before many times. I brought it up earlier, the second and third stringers. But when you were a kid and you played some sport, football, basketball, I'm not sure what it was you were playing. But when you were a kid and you played some particular sport, there was probably a time in certain games where the, the score was so you know, completely lopsided, where one team was so far ahead that it pretty much was guaranteed. So in that final quarter, in that final period, they'd take the third string and the fourth string and all the strings. They'd let me play. You can play, Dan. They're ahead by 20 points, you know, and there's no chance we're going to win, so you can play. You can play, Dan, because we're ahead by 50 points, and there's no chance, you know that we're going to lose and so the second string and the third string and the fourth and the fifth and all the strings they all get a chance to play. Everyone gets a chance to play. This was one of those things that I started noticing a few years ago but it really accelerated in the last couple of years and so when you think about good old Joe and his life expectancy, imagine for the sake of argument that best case scenario the U.S. empire is about to collapse. And whatever happens next, it's not going to look politically like it does right now. In that kind of scenario, a lot of people might say, especially the ones in on the know, might say, what about me? What about my chance? You know, when do we get a chance? When, when, do, when does our team get to play? When, you know, blah, blah, blah. And so Kamala Harris makes sense, just like Obama did. Obama made sense because it wasn't because it was the beginning of the future. No, it was the end. And at the end of the game, just to make everybody feel better, everybody gets a chance to fucking play. It's not about voting, not about elections. It's a lot about managing expectations. Um, And as far as propaganda goes and the psyops go, this kind of thing only helps. You know, I don't care if it's GoDaddy, I don't care if it's Twitter, I don't care if it's the president of the United States or anywhere else. There has been this weird kind of churning um, amongst certain levels of our society towards the second, third stringers, the fourth stringers. And, you know, the outcomes are predictable. They've been predictable. But you still have to ask the question, why would you hand the game off to the third and fourth string at this point? Why would you do that? The only reason I can think of is that the game is almost over and the outcome is not going to be changed. The only purpose of what they're doing right now is to keep us under control. But until when or what, you tell me. If this had all ended a year ago, like if this had all just ended a year ago, I might have said, okay, it was just another gigantic mega theft. It was just another generational robbery. Okay, that's what it was. But that did not happen. That is not what happened. It didn't end a year ago. It's still ongoing. So who knows why they're doing this. I'm just of the opinion that if Biden does die, it could be related to this, you know, everybody gets to play. Kamala will get a chance. There'll be a... There'll be a female president, right? That has to happen before the end of the game. And then after the game is over, it doesn't fucking matter. I mean, a lot of these people you see in the political world, a lot of these people at a certain level, their life expectancy isn't much better than yours. Like, I'm not even sure Kamala is is even aware of how much of a pawn she is. There's a very good chance that she's just a corrupt person who just has no idea that she's being played. But yeah, Biden, who knows, who knows, right? Oh boy, what is, a, what is a limited hangout? What is a limited hangout? A limited hangout or partial hangout is a public relations or propaganda technique that involves the release of previously hidden information in order to prevent a greater exposure of more important details. It takes the form of deception, misdirection, or cover-up, often associated with intelligence agencies, involving a release or mea culpa type confession. Um, blah blah blah, and, and you can read the rest of this yourself. But the, the key thing about a limited hangout, brothers and sisters, is that they give you a little bit of truth, to create a little bit of controversy, and to and to basically put you, you know, send you in the wrong direction, like go down this road. This is the road. We want you to go down. Don't go down these other roads. Go down this one. I have been thinking about the Apollo moon missions because they happened basically around the time I was born. You know, the first ones before I was born and the last few just after I was born. So I was born in 1970, and I was born right in the heart of those missions, those Apollo missions. Um, So I have very limited Understanding of that when I you know from from when I was a kid, virtually none. But but one of the things I've been thinking about is like, what if the issue around Apollo, the conspiracy, isn't so much about whether it happened or not? Because let's just leave that topic aside. What if the whole purpose of the Apollo program was to create a multi generational mindfuck? Because when you think about it. All of the leaks and information related to Apollo are never definitive enough for you to throw it away. It's always just enough for you to ask a question, and it keeps people busy. I mean, it's another one of these these psychological traumas, in a way, that just keeps people busy and obsessed. And there is never a resolution. There is never an answer. It's always, we can't know for sure, you know. That also means that a lot of the moon conspiracy theorists are inadvertently participating in the limited hangout. They're they're actually, you know, lending credence and providing fuel for something I think the deep state wants. I mean, it, it's whether it's the space stuff or alien revelations. A lot of this seems designed to keep people completely on the wrong track, completely off-center and unable to process their reality. I guess what I'm saying is what if the purpose of going to the moon was always to be a deeper PSYOP? Always to create this deeper, deeper question like, well, did they really go to the moon? Did they really do it? It's almost like I'm saying they might have gone to the moon and then given us a fake-ass moon trip because that was the purpose. The fake-ass moon trip was the purpose. The purpose was to create this fixture, this anomaly, this issue in American history that would continuously provide confusion and deception and all kinds of anger and frustration that serves no purpose at all. It really doesn't. If you say to me, well, Dan, what about the wasted money? Listen, if you're going to have a government of any kind, you're going to waste money. So, give up on that. Money was being wasted in the 60s on the Vietnam War, okay? So, really, get over the issue of, well, we wasted money going to the moon. Our government's been wasting money on stupid shit my whole fucking life. Get over it, okay? that That's the reality of that. Wasting money. What if the purpose of going to the moon was to create a giant question mark about going to the moon. I mean, what if it's the whole purpose of the the Apollo program, I know this is weird and fucked up, but what if the whole purpose of the Apollo space program was to be, right from the beginning, an implausible thing that would create a grain of truth about, well, gee, they couldn't have done it, so it must have been a fucking conspiracy. But even if that's true, like even if it's all true, then basically that conspiracy theory, that is the purpose. The purpose was to create it. The purpose was to put that question into the world. The purpose was to keep a lot of people who might have, like I said, asked better questions, different questions, they might have looked deeper, but instead they got stuck at the limited hangout, Apollo Cafe, you know, the Van Allen belts, the photographs, there's no way. Look at this. The Lem couldn't have done it. All this is wasted energy. All this is wasted. It goes nowhere useful at all. I'm sorry. At this point in time, it's okay to have an opinion. Like, I'm of the opinion that we never went to the moon. That is my opinion, that people have never been there. It it looks too obvious at this point. I mean, if you look at some of the recent NASA stuff, they talk about how they have to learn how to do this and learn how to do that. And supposedly they did all those things a half a dozen times, you know, 50 fucking years ago. So a lot of it's bullshit. And then if you add in the kind of weird techno-optimism that a lot of these fuckers promote, it looks like a deep, deep kind of bullshit. Like, you know, well, they just forgot how they did it. They forgot how they made it. They couldn't make it anymore. You know, none of that makes any fucking sense. And also, you need to remember this simple fact, okay? Even with the recent, you know, Amazon, Bezos, Blue Horizon, you know, SpaceX bullshit, and we're going to take you to the moon, fucking Branson, whatever. Even with all these little trips going up 30 or 40 or 50 miles... The reality is the number of people who have actually been to space is still less than 1,000. If you look up the number, it's still less than 1,000 people. And it's been like 60 years since people have been going to space. And less than 1,000 people in the last six decades, six and a half decades, have actually been there. I'm not saying some of them didn't go more than once, I'm saying the total unique set of people that have been to space is still less than 1,000 people. Well, 1,000 people out of billions over a period of 60 years is statistically insignificant. You might as well say no one has ever been to space. Statistically speaking, you could say that. Now of course that's kind of an absurdity, because that would be like saying, well, what about Mount Everest? Problem is, Mount Everest, I bet there's been more than that number, but you never know. But yeah, not that many people have been to space, so I don't know what to say about the moon. I have a link in here about yachting. I'm not going to read it because I just don't want to. A bunch of this stuff about the yachts that the rich people build, and I, I just don't care. I think a lot of those yachts are going to be abandoned I don't know that they'll be useful. The thing is, something as big as a yacht, you're going to have to power it. It's hard to say how you're going to do that. If it's not designed to be a sailing ship, you're going to have issues. And even if it is a sailing ship, how are you going to replace stuff when it's broken? I don't know. Those yachts, they're great, I guess, right now, but I don't know how useful they're going to be in a couple years, really. Before I go... um My financial situation is much improved over a a month ago and I'm mentioning this because I have folks out there that donate and if you want to donate you can, but I'm not currently pushing the donations for a couple of reasons. One, my productivity as far as podcasting has been impacted by the new job. Um, This is inevitable, you know, creative processes. I'm not an infinite resource and I'm over 50. so. I have not been able to do much more than one or two podcasts a week, and I'm not saying that that's bad or good, but that's where I'm at right now. Um, between having the money and not having as much time currently to get the work done, I want to get done. You know, you definitely are not obligated to donate. If you want to, you can, but you're not obligated to. I, I would say, you know, definitely, if you if you're one of those donors who has been really generous in recent weeks and months you can definitely take a break um, because right now it's it's okay the money's okay the job is paying i don't want to say how much in part because i don't want to jinx it in part because i think a lot of people out there are ha- it's like i said earlier a lot of people are having a hard time right now and i don't want to be the person who says well it's you know look at my situation so amazing go." everybody's situation must be great the reality is I can't explain how I got this job. I mean, if you're going to say, are you qualified? The answer is yes. But in terms of the amount of effort I put into the the job search, I literally roughed out my resume and a week later, I had this job, okay? A week after I posted my resume for a formal software job search, I basically had this job. That's as fast as it's ever, ever happened for me. And then consider that I had gaps, like the COVID situation was a giant gap in work. I, I I have, you know, minor deficiencies that are being cleared up because I've been kind of out of that Microsoft-type technology world for a, a number of months. But like I said, brothers and sisters, I cannot explain how it happened. If you're going to come back and say, well, what if God's looking out for you? That's possible that God was looking out for me. I'm going to grant that because it's possible, but it still doesn't leave me satisfied. Because I know a lot of people out there that can use the help right now. And I don't have kids. I don't have anybody that really depends upon me. I have to pay for rent and food, and that's about it, you know? So maybe the Lord was looking out for me. But what if it's something else? You know, I've been posing this idea since 2014. I was working on a project eight years ago at Microsoft and it was this giant internal project. I mean, when I say giant, I it looked like there were sixty or seventy people working on it. And these are sixty or seventy people that would probably be a headcount equivalent to, you know, per person managed cost. You're talking, gosh, eight to ten thousand dollars a month. Okay, so you're, you're you're talking in numbers where you're almost getting up to about a million bucks every month. And then I saw that for several months. So I saw Microsoft spend what looked to be around four million bucks on a project that I later learned didn't go anywhere. Nothing was really achieved in it. And it's not that that is you know, abnormal. That happens a lot, you know? and by the way, that's one of the reasons why things are falling apart. But at the time I wondered, what if what they're really trying to do is just keep people busy? Think about 2020 and the truckers and the construction workers. I can tell you during the peak of the monkey herpes, the peak of the COVID, the keep of the bloody blot, um, construction in Chinatown, Seattle was full gear. It was everywhere. Cranes going, people going to work. Yeah, they paid lip service to the coffee filter wearing, but the reality is, and I've got film of it, I've got video of it, the reality is the construction workers did not act as if they thought the pandemic was real. They acted like it was bullshit and they just went about their business. Same thing with truckers. I talked to a trucker in 2020 and maybe he was real, maybe he wasn't. But if he was real, he kept telling me the same kind of thing. Oh, nobody cares, no big deal, we're not worried about it. Well, if you, were, if you were one of those powers at B and you wanted to sort of keep things going, A, and B, avoid things rapidly falling apart, there's, there are at least two groups of people you probably want to keep happy. The construction workers and the truckers, probably. Uh, definitely the construction workers because these are people who are good at building things, but they're also good at taking things apart. And so if it comes down to it and you're in a situation of insurrection, you really don't want the construction workers going all guerrilla warfare. I mean, all of a sudden, a lot of shit just starts failing really fast. If any demographic in America would know how to basically throw a monkey wrench in the works, construction workers would. And as far as truckers go, that's pretty fucking obvious. You've got to keep the food moving. Whatever food is there, whatever resources are there, you have to keep it moving. It has to get delivered. So why keep the construction workers busy? Why, how is this connected to me and the job? Well, what if they're just keeping people busy with jobs at this point? None of this is that real to me. Like if you said, what about the the market? And I'd say, I don't think we have markets any longer. Like that's why I call it neo-Stalinism. I don't think this is about free enterprise. I think this is about controlling billions of people until the last minute, then what? Then what? You want to know why I lose sleep? You want to know why I can't sometimes focus on work? You want to know why I have such a dark disposition, especially these days? It's because I cannot answer the question, then what? And I haven't been able to come up with a feasible answer that was a good answer for at least a year and a half. Ever since December of 2020, then what has been a chant inside my skull? Then what? After you've wrecked everything, after you've psychologically manipulated hundreds of millions of people to the point of crazy, after you have driven people to that, and by the way, it looks like you're setting up the world for a famine, then what? What are you building on that chaos? What are you building on that starvation? What are you building on that graveyard of bones? What? You see, if I got a good answer to that question from any of the freaks out there, especially the ones that promote the reset, I could probably be more satisfied. But none of their explanations make any fucking sense. Then what? After you've done all the things you say they're going to do, it's like the Alex Jones saying they're going to put people in FEMA camps, then what? What are you going to do to them then? Keep feeding them? How, how is that a power move, Really? How, how does that get you the reset? And as I've said before, if you want to know where the FEMA camps are, just go to a city. They built them around you. You didn't even fucking notice. Uh, if you learned anything from 2020 and you lived in a city like Seattle, you learned that you already lived in a fucking FEMA camp. So they don't need to truck you anywhere. They don't need to put you on a fucking train. You're already there. But then what? Okay? Once you've wrecked everything, once you've driven small businesses to the brink of disaster, once you've mind fucked people to the point of sociopathic crazy, murder crazy, what are you going to do with that society? What are you going to build? Where are you going? You see, I can joke about the Earth being a giant island, and the wind farms being a propeller system to push it in some direction, but what direction? Is there any? That's the the thing for me, okay? The popping smoke and the everybody gets to play and all these weird PSYOP limited hangouts. The question that keeps coming back when I I look out into the future is then what? What? (sighs) I I have had crypto freaks tell me, oh, it's super technology. It's post-scarcity. We're going to fly to Mars with Elon Musk. We're going to have hookers and cocaine. Maybe. I give that a one in a million chance. Maybe a one in a billion. How about the odds of being an astronaut? How about the natural odds that you, in fact, have ever been to space? Okay, just the natural odds, which is not one in a hundred or one in a million. It's more like, you know, one in billions, basically, more or less. Certainly, one in tens of millions. But what are the natural odds that you have ever or will ever go to space? I think the true answer is almost, for all intents and purposes, zero. You know, for all intents and purposes, it's never going to happen. Those are the odds right now. That's the question. That's where I'm at. If someone says to me, Where are you at, Dan? It's then what? you know everybody's getting a chance to play okay what does that mean why are why are all these third and fourth stringers getting a chance why are the people that knew what they were doing supposedly bugging out you know what are what are we expecting on the other side of this rainbow and if if you're saying to yourself well gee you know Nancy Pelosi and Biden just stop there's a good chance these people that you're told to be angry about are just playing a role too. And there's a very good chance many of them are facing the same bleak outcome, perhaps worse than you, okay? There are mayors and governors in this country that if they don't bug out soon are facing a lynching. And it's, it's you know, <laughs> you can look at Sri Lanka and say, well, that's an exception to the rule. I think Sri Lanka is a pattern and it's going to repeat itself in a lot of places. And in the United States of America, it could already be happening. It's just that the media does a pretty good job of controlling you know, our perception of things. That's a nice way of putting it. But it is going to happen, even if it hasn't happened yet. So what's the then what for these people? Once the mayor is hung up, once the governor is tossed into a pit, once you've removed your leadership, then what? What are you gonna do? How are you gonna feed yourselves? How are you going to make your life work? In a free world, the answer is liberty. The answer is free trade, free communication, and these things do work, them, work the, themselves out. But in a controlled neo-Stalinist world, how are you going to make this system work? How are you going to make the Norman Borlaug system work? A, a free world where you're, where you're growing food, that's one thing. But the neo-Stalinist Norman Borlaug you know, agro-economy in America... That only works in this government model and if the government is in collapse, how are you going to make that work? And the answer is you won't. You won't. The answer is if you are perceived as being somebody responsible, even if you're not, if you're perceived as being someone connected to the crimes of history, even if you're not, there's a good chance you're going to face a mob. There's a good chance you're going to face people looking for payback. There is a very good chance that people like you, if you're connected to that system, are going to get killed. And I'm not going to tell you because it's right or wrong. History doesn't give a fuck. History does not give a fuck if the crowd is righteous or not righteous. The crowd is a mindless beast. They are driving people into a frenzy of insanity, and the only question that no motherfucker I've met yet can answer is, then what? What are you gonna do with any of that? And I think the only answer is, if you're a person who's responsible for it, you bug the fuck out. You pop smoke, you get on the boat train to someplace, and you bug out. And if you have enough money, if you're really rich, you make it look like a suicide. You make it look like a heart attack and you bug out completely. Okay? You fake your death and you're gone. And now you're in your condo in Antarctica surrounded by underwear models and martinis. You've really you've really taught that stranded unconscious skier a lesson. Anywho, for Friday, good old Friday, July the 29th, 2022, Bob Blimp Dock, for all you out there living on the edge, for those of you on the great island earth, along with me heading somewhere, but we don't know where, for those of you who are drilling and digging, for those of you flying through space, for those of you playing Monopoly when the power's out, Have a great Friday, a great weekend. You know, I hope everything's okay for you. And then maybe everything's fine, right?